people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello, welcome to Twelve Rules for What a New Podcast about the far right and right wing politics from the perspective of the left. My name is Sam. And I'm Alex. And we're going to be talking today and in an introductory way about what the podcast is going to do, how it's going to be structured, what are its topics, and um, the reason why we're going to be doing this podcast and why we think it's important. So you want to kick us off about why you think this podcast is timely? Um, I think there's a, there's a tendency on, on like the, the left and the left, the anarchist left, communist left, whatever, and like a broader left that goes to the Labour Party, um, to think of the far right as like one huge glom of fash. And actually not to recognise that the far right movement or scene or whatever is like a like an internet interconnecting web of like relationships and antagonisms and it's fluctuating and there's like it is important that we understand that there are different types of fascists and that um because for one thing you fight them in different ways. But for another thing, if you just think of everyone as a Nazi, then you're kind of stuck in like I don't know, 1930s, 1940s kind of mentality. Um, I know that, like, for example, in, like, uh, earlier decades of the, of the 20th century, World War Two was such, like, a, a huge, like, overarching weight on everybody that that the kind of the fascist, anti-fascist thing still survived, and there was a lot of patriotism around beating the Nazis and stuff. And really, that's gone completely. And what we're seeing is like a lot of the liberal left being really surprised that there's such a huge amount of people willing to adopt these like reactionary ideas or racist ideas or like explicit Holocaust of denial with such enthusiasm and they don't understand where that's come from and why it's come about. And so I think I think what we could do is try and explain a bit of that process and explain a bit of how how, for example, Tommy Robinson connects to generation identity and how he connects to you know, the forums on 4chan and Nick Land and the the breadth of the right. Um, One of the reasons why it might also be politically useful to do that is I often find myself um, reading right-wing authors characterising people on the left as um, obsessed with um, identity politics or obsessed with, like, representation. Um, And I don't think I'm interested really very much in either of those things. And I think that um, a lot of the critique from the right of the left only deals with a very small portion of the kind of total variety of left-wing thought, mostly left liberal, mostly American, mostly kind of campus-based thinking. That's mostly what it seems to me is like being critiqued when the right talk about the left. And it seems like it's very, very likely that the same thing is happening the other way around. So the idea of the podcast is to kind of explore all the kind of various formations that might be getting missed out in this analysis. The podcast is going to be structured around um, three different things, basically. One is going to be a set of themes. Um, Some of those themes will be things like masculinity, technology, irony, esotericism, um, submission versus collectives, race, uh, politics, that is the kind of play play out of kind of intergroup violence um, versus ideals. Fascism, of course, talks about its ideals a lot, but it uses violence 
much more than its ideals as a kind of guiding force. So there's a tension there within a lot of these thinkers and a lot of these street movements. Fascism in the environment as a strong eco-fascist presence in particularly places like Germany, but it's also becoming a more and more of a thing um, around the world. Fascism's relationship to government, fascism's relationship to biology, that will tie very closely in with the environment stuff. And the way that particularly kind of soft-right thinkers or alt-right thinkers or what's called the alt-light thinkers, like Jordan Peterson and people on the kind of self-styled intellectual dark web, use ideas from biology in order to understand the world as having a kind of natural basis and human relations as having a really natural basis in kind of physiological structure. And that not only obviously affects things like race, but also gender... Uh, Gordon Peterson made his name off like, like de de delineating a very strict gender binary and a very strict gender roles. Precisely. And then, then there's going to be another theme is the archaic. Um, lots of fascists appeal to an extremely um, long time span. That's become even longer in recent ideas around, for example, right accelerationism. And there's been a kind of so it, classical fascists, of course, appeal to the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans. Um, Evola in the uh, 1950s and 60s was very interested in having Italian fascism return to a state of kind of Roman imperial glory. But I think there's been a sense on the right, for most people on the kind of intellectual right, that they've really lost the terrain of social history. That's been more or less completely succeeded to, ceded uh, to the left. Um, it's very obvious that history is kind of dominated as, as an academic practice and also kind of in the popular understanding, um, at least amongst people who are politically engaged, uh, by left-wing ideas. And so there's been an attempt by reactionaries to massively expand the field of um, kind of historical analysis to the entire scope of recorded time. Um, that is since the beginning of the universe. That's a really interesting development. I think we can talk about that um, a bit later. I mean, it seems a little... A lot of a lot of these thinkers and a lot of these like movements within the right, they're not like mass. They're quite niche. Yeah, incredibly but, so. But yeah. the but the, the the important thing of the reason we need to talk about it, for one thing, is they're truly mad and it's kind of wonderful to talk about mad things occasionally. But also they their ideas filter through this like network of relationships and antagonisms and just like, you know, just like for example, the anarchist scene has taken kind of a hit with the rise of Corbyn. Um these uh, intellectual and forces within the right also knock on each other and kind of rub against each other and and become more like each other as things go on. So, like for example, someone like Nick Land, who who is one of these right accelerationists, um, he you know he he is like kind of a very intellectual uh, racist, um, but lives mainly in universities and now lives in Shanghai, um, but. He has an audience, and that audience has an audience, and people take things from him that they find useful, and take modes of of writing and ways of expressing themselves, and it, that translates through to you know more like kind of a broader street kind of stuff. There's another aspect to that as well, which is that um, there's this really kind of um, absurd Evola line from a late book called uh, I think it's called Riding the Tiger which makes it sound like a book of um, 
Yeah, it's called Ride the Tiger, uh, which is, uh, and modernity is the tiger. And it's a kind of a late work in which he becomes really pessimistic about the possibility of establishing fascism in Italy. And he's like, modernity is this tiger. And you can't defeat the tiger because the tiger is stronger than you. And so you can't revert to the traditional past. So all you can do is kind of ride the tiger. And then he says, okay, well, maybe you can kind of prepare yourself in such a way that when the tiger gets tired, then you can do something. Then you can fight. This is, of course, a really weird way of thinking about modernity because, of course, modernity doesn't get tired, right? It just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. At least that's been historically the tendency up until now. But one thing that might happen, and it might happen particularly in Europe and America, is that modernity, in the context of climate change over the next 50 years, might really start to slow down to the point at which... Um, like GDP like really kind of like lowers or goes down and uh, living standards simultaneously like go down and that's going to lead to uh, in combined with you know the mass desertification of like North Africa is going to and Central Africa is going to lead to like mass migration and that's going to lead to like a much more explicit racist politics in Europe trying to defend Europe against kind of um, uh, mass migration so these ideas I think will only become more important, although they seem esoteric now, although they seem like they have almost no purchase now. Over the next 50 years, I think fascism is going to have a serious, quite terrifying revival. The second part of the podcast, we're going to be talking about more concrete examples of like fascist groups or far-right groups and street movements. Um, and we'll take a, each week we'll, or every episode we do one of them, we'll uh, take someone like Tommy Robinson or the Proud Boys or Generation Identity and kind of do an explainer on them basically and and uh, show where they come from, where they might be going, um, what their what the kind of influence is and and how I guess how relevant they are to the left and anti fascists because there's a tendency to to think that everyone has the same amount of influence and everyone has has the same need to to be opposed um and oftentimes anti-fascists spend their spend their days running around after a group of three middle-aged uh alcoholics um and leaving like the much more dangerous and insidious kind of influential stuff um and kind of dismissing it to be to be on like corners of 4chan or the internet and not not worth kind of fighting in any way we should probably talk at this point about what we mean by the right. We can list people, and I think maybe that's a good way of beginning, at least. We can list people who we think are on the right, and people can imagine connections between those um, people. But we can also say that there's like quite a clear lineage here from a set of really quite well-defined ideas, um, starting maybe in the, with the new right in France um, in the 19... 60s, late 1960s. In January 1968, there's a conference of um, people on the far right, or sorry, the, the, what's called the new right, um, including people who we're going to be talking very about very explicitly, like William Fay, um, who wrote a thing called Why We Fight, which then became the kind of textbook for generation identity. Okay. And so there is a lineage that comes more or less from essentially a quite a small collection of thinkers in France. And yeah, and, w- and what we're seeing now is kind of a confluence of, of, of a few of those lineages. So, Gwilym Fai was, before 9-11, Gwilym Fai was writing a lot about Muslims and the, the in, encroaching kind of uh, Islamic migration, Islamic takeover of, of Europe. And 9-11 really did 
like a fire in that kind of strand of thinking. In in a way, he was a, he was ahead of his time in, in foreseeing foreseeing this as an exploitable issue by by the by the far right. And out of nine eleven, we got obviously like uh, in, increased wars and uh, surveillance and more repressive state apparatuses. But we also it gave birth to quite a DIY counter jihad movement, which sprung up pretty quickly after the after the fall of of the Twin Towers. And and what we're seeing now is kind of a mixture of like, so for example, someone like Tommy Robinson comes out, definitely comes out of like a, a far-right hooligan tradition, but he also comes out of the counter-jihad movement, which was a lot of what the EDL was about when it when it was really at its height and what he's trying to make all these like kind of citizen journalist work since. Um, but he's also taking influence from Generation Identity and their strand of, of thinking. And he, he met with, the leader of Generation Identity when he when that guy was still allowed in the UK, and uh, and it isn't isn't inconce- isn't isn't conce- inconceivable that he could become much more of a presence in that group, although he's finding uh, much more kind of purchase in the kind of independent campaigning that he's really kind of perfected to many to, to a large extent. The the conference I mentioned a moment ago was the, called the GRECE. And um, this is the the New Right conference in in France. And it was kind of superseded uh, by a thing called the club in 1974. And the idea was basically that um, the, what was called metapolitics, the idea of the the New Right was that they would uh, engage in metapolitics. It's basically a very kind of slow culture war, that they would transform the culture of um, France and Europe more generally, and by extension, America, slowly and eventually over like a long period of time would like prepare it for the return of fascism. Um, obviously in, in France, um, being kind of Vichyist or being like a, a person who had been a Nazi collaborator was still um, poisonous uh, as like a political standpoint. And so they kind of more or less explicitly rejected this, but they thought they could take a much, much longer route back to power. And although the culture wars are no longer quite as kind of explicitly uh, intense as they were perhaps maybe 25 years ago, they're now returning to that. And it's be interesting, I think, also to think about some people who don't explicitly identify as right-wing, like, for example, Jordan Peterson, who is a figure not necessarily explicitly advocating a return of fascism, but nevertheless who forms a really important component in the massification of a cultural transition back to essentially reactionary conceptions of the self and reactionary conceptions of gender in particular. This is a part of the the new right strategy, even if Jordan Peterson doesn't realise it and wouldn't explicitly support it. Yeah, it, it, it's like, especially with someone like Peterson, it's like, it's not like he would very much profess to be, you know, against anti-Semitism and against all these things, describe himself as a classical liberal, but he has been empowered by a certain movement and a certain kind of sympathetic subset of mainstream society. And that has been leapt upon by a lot of these people like Gwil and Fai and people we're going to talk about more. Um, so yeah, then doesn't have to, you don't have to be intending something to be an avatar for it. And that's really important to say straight up because otherwise people go, well, I'm not that and therefore that's not what I'm doing. And an important part of analysing these things is say, it's a separate intention and an actual causation, I think. But in the meantime, and kind of as support for that, we thought we might, 
allow, like suggest some things for people to kind of go away and like uh, you know, read. There's some pretty short articles out there that are actually extremely useful for like thinking about the kind of what's happening on the far right. Um, Josephine Armistead wrote a thing called the Silicon Ideology. It's about ten pages long. It's on archive.org. Yes, so it's freely available. Very available, um, and that very neatly summarizes a whole load of theories of fascism. It summarises Bordiga's theory, Deleuze and Qatari's, Trotsky's, um, a theory put about by someone called Scott H. Um, it's very, very useful. Also, the main main body of the article is like a, 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 a like a intellectual history of where the, like the neo reactionary movement came from, and it is really useful to kind of get an idea of like the like the the melding of different streams of different cultures and streams of thought into this one thing and so it draws from like pop culture like warhammer 40k and things like that which were like played a big part in like the kind of reactionary imaginary in building in building like kind of like an authoritarian world um in people's heads um but yeah it's good people should read it the th- the whole thing about 40k is, is that the the universe is like a fucking miserable everything's scarce uh Humanity has kind of organized itself into a, a, a extremely ruthless hierarchical society ruled over by an absent god emperor who keeps the galaxy together with his psychic powers. <laughs> and there's no nice place within this universe. Everything is shit. Everything is decaying. And um, and it's a kind of like conflict of resources between groups of like racially distinct uh, people who like could not possibly come to an agreement on anything at all yeah like all sci-fi and fantasy fiction it is inherently racist and uh, <laughs> uh, should be opposed at all costs um, <laughs> that's that's not that's uh, Alex is speaking there in like a personal capacity uh, it's not the view of the podcast okay um, we're going to be releasing podcasts we hope every two weeks on um, those three topics so themes in fascism individual or groups of fascists or groups of people on the far right and anti-fascism, rotating around those three topics. 12 rules.